Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. On today's episode, we're going to talk about game theory as it relates to the uh, 2020 presidential campaign. And we're going to ask a very simple question of what if everybody knows that Trump is going to lose? What should the various parties and the constituencies of each of those campaign entities do? All right, so let's start with the basic concept, which is we know that both parties are neoliberal. We'll just start there, and both parties are going to start with class, and we'll just we'll just start there. So before that's the overarching arc, there is nothing else that drives them besides making money for corporations. So the question then becomes, what's going to happen in order to win? All right, so basically, if you're Trump's campaign, you need to change the narrative. If you're Biden's campaign, you need to keep the current narrative Which going. means not dying, but, too. And not talking for more than seven consecutive <laughs> words and no more than 15 seconds a day and tweeting incoherently, but more coherently than Trump And does. not telling other people to not vote for you. Yeah, yep. I mean, just saying your name once, I guess. We still haven't seen Biden draw a clock yet. <laughs> still waiting on that. It's not funny because he could have Alzheimer's. Is that Alzheimer's? I'm saying right, Alzheimer's. Yeah, dementia is no joke. Dementia is no joke, dog. Dementia.org. Um, so, so here's some of the narratives you're seeing right now. Right, it's it's bad for Trump's campaign because we've had sort of uh, an entire 2020 that's just been I'm not sure fucked. Is that a yeah? Good word? I think it might that might not be harsh enough. Oh, okay, like yeah, it, it's it's. Trumped, let's just say that. So first we have this pandemic, and this is probably one of the saddest and most frustrating thing of any failed presidency. I mean, now, did Trump go out west and murder a bunch of um, indigenous people? No. Did Trump invade a country illegally? Uh, no, like many other presidents. Did he drop nuclear weapons on, pres- on, on civilians? No. Did he use biological weapons like in Korea? Uh, no, I mean, did did he make illegal arms sales to Iran? No, did he overthrow dictators in Libya and make sure the population was destabilized? No, did he attack Afghanistan? He didn't do that either, right? So there's a lot of things we can say about Trump's presidency uh, that isn't as bad as other presidents. But what we can say is that he fucked up. Sorry, another F word. Sorry about that. He royally screwed us on the COVID outbreak. And partly because he deferred, like a neoliberal would, to corporations. Now, Trump is terrible. This is what we're going to go through this in media narrative right now. So in the media, you're going to hear that Trump is a moron, that uh, he failed us, right? That Fauci's smart, um, that we have idiots in the United States, other countries are doing it right, that uh, the states that are yet to reopen are great. But you're seeing basically a narrative where where it's all pointing a negative picture at Trump. And in fact, the 500 counties where COVID's rising, Trump has lost points. And so you're seeing that just from an electoral point of view, Trump is losing because the narrative is kicking him in the nuts pretty hard right now. Uh, the economy, the economy is tied to 70% services, which is then tied to the other 29% of manufacturing, sorry, 9% of, fat, of manufacturing is pretty unstable right now. And so the only thing that's stable is a 20% that is the federal government spending. And so if we think then that 
Uh, it's going to get better for him on the economy. It's not. So what are we seeing in the news? We're seeing that uh, the economy is collapsing. Unemployment is really high, even though it's only at 11.1%, they said just the other day. Um, but that was taken in mid-June, so we know that his numbers are going to get hit again hard. Uh, polling. Biden is winning right now in all the polling. He's saying he's double digits in all the big states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all the swing states. Um, so, again, uh, bad news for Trump. Trump tries to release internal polling. It gets laughed at because everybody, all the internal polling is done by basically liars. There's no one can trust them. Um, and then we're going to move into a few things that we thought were going to be big narratives in 2020, but started to fall off, which is nobody cares about Black Lives Matter anymore because – there's nothing else to look at. Um, a butter, another butterfly came by, another shining object, and so the story's sort of gone away. Right? You're not really hearing about that anymore. What you're hearing about now is is other things like the Russian bounties or Russian hackers, right? We keep bringing that up, right? Epstein's back in the news with his companion being pulled back in. So lots of things are being pulled in that are trying to be distracting from what the actual negatives are of uh, the Trump's campaign. And then finally, you're not going to hear anything about war crimes. You're not, you haven't heard anything right now about uh, Yemen. You haven't heard anything about Saudi Arabia. Uh, you haven't heard anything about uh, Israel and in, in Palestine. You don't even know that Palestine is about to get a bunch of land stolen from Israel right right now. If you didn't know that, then that's because the news narrative isn't telling you that. So a few things that we thought were going to be big this year are not. Uh, it's all basically related to Are are, uh, are kids in cages still in the in the concentration camps? What's a cage? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court, or the courts just ruled that they had to be released. So, what about their Oh, parents? we were saved by institutions again. Yeah, institutions <laughs> saved us, right? Neoliberal institutions in which private entities raise these people to become judges. Right? Like the John Birch Society? Yeah. To push through their insanity. So, again, never trust institutions that are ran by neoliberals. All right. So again, we're seeing we're seeing that Trump is failing, but Trump's president, and Trump is willing to win at all costs. So, what does that actually mean now for game theory? So, Trump uh, needs to uh, go scorched earth, uh, doing whatever it is he wants to do that thinks is going to have some beneficial outcome, and this includes doing illegal stuff. Uh, taking advantage of uh, loopholes uh, might be considered a noble pursuit, but why concentrate on loopholes when you can do whatever you want? Uh, so, you know, there's probably going to be some fuckery with mail-in voting. Uh, there's probably going to be some carve-outs for state stimuluses. Uh, there might be some handouts uh, to, you know, another round of Trump bucks. Anything that can sort of bribe the electorate to say Trump's great. This is all Biden's fault. You're seeing ads that are very like kind of incendiary and talk about, you know, like, oh, if you call the cops and the cops are defunded, you're going to die. And it's like, well, cops really aren't investigating murders or rape kits anyway. So what's being depicted in the ads are literally what happens now, but you're supposed to be fearful of that. Uh, it's mostly, you know, dog whistling to uh, racists. Uh, he'll also continue the narrative that the media is evil. And while he's not necessarily wrong about the media kind of having its own interests, uh, 
it's a rather sort of authoritarian play that he's consistently willing to go into. His strategy is not that interesting. He just is going to go scorched earth. If he needs to talk to Russia, if he needs to talk to Ukraine, if he needs to get his secret NSA advisor guy, you know, laundering money for this, that, or the other thing, he'll just do it. Like it doesn't really matter too much. He's, he needs to convince people to vote for him that have already voted for him and suppress the vote otherwise. Like that, that is his strategy. And if it doesn't work, it's not going to work, but he's going to go down trying as hard as possible. And he's also not the first president to attempt to steal elections. So I think it's kind of being presented as, Oh, this has never been done before. And it's like, well, it, it happens basically every cycle. And it's really just kind of your perception of how outside the norms his actions are. So you're saying Bush 2000? Uh, yeah, he, ring a bell? he did a good job of creating a lab of infrastructure to allow, you know, kind of deferred culpability across a wide range of people. You had Florida fucked up, but then you know, he had, I think, Catherine Harris was the Secretary of State, and so she kind of made some things okay. And then, you know, his brother was the governor of Florida, and so probably had a hand in that. And then it went to the Supreme Court, and they did a non-binding opinion, and, and it was just fine. And Gore was kind of like, eh. yeah. And as a reward for writing a legal brief, um, because he was a, um, I'm not sure they call him servant for Reinquist. I forget what they call those people when you work for law them. clerk. Law clerk for Ryan Christ. Um, John Roberts became the chief Supreme Court justice for winning um, the election for Bush because he wrote the legal brief. And having known Ryan Christ, he knew exactly what to write for him. So, again, it's all corruption. Um, it's exactly what we'd expect. But, again, scorched earth only works if you have enough votes show up. And so the only way to get the vote, enough votes to show up is to make everybody mad and scared and frightened one way or the other. And to be clear, Republicans are not the only people that steal elections. Uh, LBJ basically stole his 1940 Senate election. It's a good Wikipedia page. He literally conjured ballots out of thin air. So long, proud tradition of presidents fucking with elections. Yeah, and, you know, this is only after they had to make uh, appointing senators you know, thing of the past because of the corruption associated with buying senator seats. So, you know, there's a reason why corruption in politics works or doesn't work, depending on your point of view or the one in power yeah, point of view. Right. Because because Trump's interested in one thing, that's power for the sake of power. Now, we can go into if he's really a billionaire or not. We can go into whether or not he's him and Epstein used to hang out and fuck children. Uh, I, it doesn't matter at this point in time the crimes he did or did not commit. What matters is that he wants power for absolute power, which is something we haven't seen in the presidential candidate and since probably LBJ. I mean, maybe Reagan, because Reagan knew how to work the system and charm, but Trump is not a charmer. Obama was a charmer. He could play the electorate like a fiddle, right? Bush wasn't a charmer. He played the law and order, right? A lot of the previous electorate was all convinced because of something happened. So Bush had... You know, law and order, I'll fix after Clinton. Clinton was a douche. I see the election, right? Then you had, you know, John Kerry fail. He's a terrible candidate. Then you had uh, McCain fail. You had Mitt Romney. I'm not sure what was Mitt Romney. Was he a thing? What is Mitt Romney? 
there was no incentive to remove Obama because he was so corporate to begin with that all the there all the interests were just like yeah. Yeah, another corporate Democrat or corporate Republican doesn't matter. You're already in our bag, right? I mean, you're seeing you're seeing win by all costs, and you, you saw it this year with Biden playing out in the Democratic primary. They weren't so overt about it, but they ran as many candidates as they could to make sure that Bernie didn't get the nomination. And so the win of all costs happens at every single level. But Trump is overt. He's willing to break the law because I guess you're in too deep. Um, You've already broken the law. Your only way out is to not get caught. You're not not. You have to have presidential immunity, or you're going to go to jail. So oh, I mean, maybe, well, maybe, right? I mean, we can always be like Obama and sweep terror. Uh, oh, the financial stuff is probably fine. Uh, financial I mean, torture all over the rug. Anyways, it wasn't a black site, so who cares? Who cares? Yeah, there are allies. Um, but I mean, the majority of this is that he's going to win at all costs. He's going to go hard. I mean, hard into the paint. We're talking about a man who, who just does not care, right? And the issue happens to be that right now, um, we know that if he's losing, he's going to go hard in the paint. So the question then is, what does the remainder of the election look like? Because right now we know the presidential election is going to either be a Biden sweep or a Trump, I guess, clawback. But there is a thousand other elections that are going to happen this year. So what's going to happen? So from a party perspective, I don't think the Dems or the Republicans really care who wins presidency, but they want to maintain uh, their positions, probably of divided government in the House and Senate. So as long as the Dems retain the House and the Republicans can retain the Senate, they can kind of play this gridlock game and kind of just keep kicking the can down the road. But along the way, get some pork to make their constituents happy. Uh, it also creates this concept where nobody's really accountable. You can just say, oh, well, the other team, they, they didn't want this, so then we couldn't do it, and then we had to compromise, and then we didn't do anything. And the uh, and this is sort of the playbook that's happening. Uh, you have the Kentucky Senate election where Amy McGrath is basically a Trump-supporting Democrat that spent $40 million and barely won. Uh, it It's part of perpetuating the D.C. consulting complex. Uh, and, they, and they don't really care who wins. If, if Mitch McConnell wins, he's uh, you know the boogeyman that can, oh, he's so scary and they can fundraise off him. It, there's really no incentive for either party to, to care about each house because they're, or I shouldn't say each house, to care about each of the legislative branches. Is that even right? What the hell are the distinctions? Yeah. Okay. House and Senate, whatever. Is House, House and Senate, the judicial branch, and then there's the executive branch. That was, that was your politics. Uh, r- <laughs> politics your, one maybe. Yeah, remedial politics. Cause... Remedial politics. I like that. That's, this is your high school politics coming at you in ninth grade. So, and I, and I don't think either party really cares about the judicial branch either. Uh, you saw pretty much all of the Supreme Court justices get approved. You know, people argued about Kavanaugh, but if they really wanted to prevent it, they could have. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, Joe Biden stonewalled some judicial nominations uh, earlier on in his career, and you know, could have gone to the same playbook. But I don't think I don't think the parties actually care. They have nine Supreme Court justices that 
at some level support the existing system of basically corporate control. You see kind of splits that go five, four, six, three, where there's some actual issue of civil, civil liberties, and then, you know, it can matter. But for the most part, most Supreme Court cases are not ideal, ideological from a liberal versus conservative. Uh, but then at the end of the day, both, both parties are playing for the same team anyway, which is the ruling class. So it makes less of a difference. Uh, so the Dems and GOP, they're, they're kind of squabbling over their ability to retain some power so that they can advocate for their constituency groups. Uh, where like the GOP supports oil and gas and the Dems are kind of into banking and tech stuff, but they're kind of Andrew Yang, tech bro, Silicon Valley contingent. Uh, but, but the GOP is, you know, is in a position where if they get wiped out, um, they might be uh, kind of at risk of losing a lot of power and having some of their corruption exposed. So if you're the GOP, what do you do? I actually love this. This, this is part where game theory kicks in because a lot of people are, are focused primarily on the um, federal levels. And we have talked in, in numerous episodes about how all action is local. And so the question is, is, if you're the GOP and you're about to get smashed at the federal level, how do you protect your down ballot? Because let's be honest, down ballot, and when we say down ballot, we actually mean like um, your state and local elections, you know, all the stuff that's down the ballot from the presidential, that actually matters. So who your local judge is, who your prosecutor is, who your county commissioners are, who's on your city council, um, who's your state legislatures are. Do you have to hold all those things? Because as we see every year, um, every 10 years, we get to draw like, you know, new maps. Guess what's coming up now? New map time. And when I mean new maps and new congressional maps, we see that states are going to get plus or minus some congressional, des- or congressional dis- districts. I can't talk today. Um, so it's really important that they play games to win locally so they can gerrymander. And both sides will do it. And right now it's a game of chess. So if you're the GOP, you basically go as hard as you can down, down ballot. You try to protect as much as you can. So you having someone like Amy McGrath, who is just a neoliberal conservative running as a Democrat, guess what she's not going to do? She's not going to win. But you're going to spend a ton of money supporting her PAC to make sure that she won. Same thing that they did for Elizabeth Warren. They threw a bunch of money at her to make sure that she would at least, um, I guess, play the vanguard to protect the ruling class interests. Against and Bernie so during even, the Dem primary. Against Bernie, yes. Thank you, yes. So even though... Where it's like we're going to be, you know, maybe a wipe at the federal level. The, the Republicans and the GOP need to protect the state level. And this is where the game theory kicks in nice. So how do you actually do it? So if you're going to destroy the electoral ticket, I mean, the, the only in game theory, the only way to do this would be sacrificial lamb would be to destroy Trump somehow. Well, it's too late now to destroy Trump. So there's no real way to get a replacement candidate or is there? I don't know. No idea. What do you think? No idea. Right. Unless Trump says I'm not going to run. I don't know what what the GOP can do because the GOP it has the authority to change on the ballot. The people because they're one of the two parties. Yeah. None of the official nomination stuff has been kind of baked yet. So th- there's really so there's not an official Democratic nominee and there's not an official Republican nominee. There's not an official Green Party or Libertarian or whatever the other parties are. Those aren't baked yet. Right. They're not baked. 
So what what you really need to do if you're the GOP is check down ballot is to shore up your candidates, pivot them to either the, to more of the center and align themselves up with Biden. Because it, uh, to be truthful, Biden is a Republican. He's been a racist rapist his entire life, allegedly a rapist, actual racist on video. Allegedly, maybe. Put it out there just legally. Allegedly. So, I mean, they have to align themselves to Biden and they have to basically ride Biden's ticket. But I don't know what else they're going to do. At the local level, we're going to rely on basically local politics. You're going to rely on the fact that the left or the Democratic Party doesn't really run candidates unless those candidates are going to win. And if the GOP, you're just going to keep mandating and pushing things forward because there's a lot more funding at that, that local level. In fact, they have a much better infrastructure in place, too, to, to fund the local level, including judges, which it, it makes no sense to me why you'd have a judge sign unless that judge was corrupt. I mean, I don't know. Every time I see a judge sign, I just say, why do you have money? Why are you wasting that sign? I, doesn't, I don't understand. You know, it's just like sheriff. Like, why do you care who the hell is sheriff? Unless, of course, you have an incentive that the sheriff is elected. Anyways, I, I, I digress. So, <clears throat> in the end, the GOP's only real plan to have is to either get rid of the orange, I guess, the, the Cheeto. The orange Cheeto in the White House. The, oh, yeah, orange Cheeto in the White House. Or the orange bad man or whatever the libs, the shit libs want to call him. Right. The, the, the truth of the matter is Trump runs on absolute power. The only reason why he's failing right now is because he got shit thrown at him that he wasn't prepared for. If COVID didn't happen, I had no doubt in my mind he would have won 42 states this year. Because Biden can hardly drink water without smoking on it. <laughs> and Trump has difficulty drinking water too. But and, and Trump can drink water all day. With two hands. On Struggled with one on hand, camera. but two hands on camera. He, it's harder on he camera. He can sometimes, yeah, sometimes he can walk <laughs> down a ramp. Sometimes. Biden has a hard time sitting up looking at the camera and saying things. He performs best in his campaign cave. Yeah, yeah, he, he performs best when there's bright lights that make him squint and he's got all the Botox that takes these, his emotions away because he's confused as to where he's at. I mean, and we're already saying this because our candidate got screwed based primarily on capitalist intentions, right? So back to the game theory. What do you do for the GOP, right? You try dunking on, on Trump, and if you, the problem you have now is supporters. You can't get your base up to run unless your federal level is actually excited. And Trump has a much better um, than Biden support amongst itself. I mean, he's like 80% something crazy and the Republican party support him with like an over 50% enthusiastic where Biden's like, I don't know, 60% democratic party. And like, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I, that's what it is. He's so, he like all time low kind of enthusiasm gap, which hasn't historically voted well for any presidential candidate running. Right. So this is, this is the other half of the game theory. And we, we don't know. We, we're just spitballing here. The other way to go is go hard Trump. Go hard in the paint, take it all the way down. But make sure you have a, a basically coordinated campaign and you're taking Trump support all the way down. In fact, I've seen yard signs that say Trump supporter, like vote so-and-so, Trump supporter. Or support Trump and then that person's name. Because they are aligning themselves with the person in power that's going to get out the votes. Because Trump will get out the votes. No matter what people think, it will be, still be close because Trump will get out the votes. He will get his in the Dems, base to vote. His base will vote. Now, whether or not that's 46% or 50% of the electorate, we don't know yet. 
We don't know what the Dems are going to pull off. We have no idea what they can actually do because we haven't seen Biden. I haven't seen a Biden yard sign anywhere. I haven't seen a Biden swag. I haven't seen anything. And yet he's the, I guess, presumed nominee. So again, back to electoral, I mean, intellectualism, and we can talk about this, I guess, in incoherency all day long, <laughs> but, but the, the plan is go hard in the paint with Trump. I mean, if I was the GOP, that's either dump Trump or go hard in the paint. There's no in between. Or can you do both? Do they have the, the infrastructure, the strategy to select individual, maybe states, districts, counties, cities, whatever, where you you run hard for Trump and then in other, other districts you disavow him? I don't see why you wouldn't have the data that says you could do that. I mean, you literally just, I mean, you literally send out an email, A, B. A says you're the candidate that's in a district that's 60-40, you know, red versus blue. You're going 100% for Trump. You're in a district that's 40-60, red-blue, so you're 40% Republican, 60% Dem. You're going to disavow Trump, right? Yeah. If somewhere in the middle, I would say 50%, you would just say go hard Trump, is what I would say, arguably. Because there's a big chance that, that mail-in votes might not count. There's a big chance that the Democratic voters aren't enthusiastic enough. So you may actually, in a 50-50 split in this year, you may actually get a 50-46 split, Republican-Democrat. And there's some I don't know. there's some stuff like incumbency bias in, in the sense that uh, – People are going to vote for the guy currently because that's the world we know and change is scary. And, you know, I like my health care the way it is because I am susceptible to propaganda. It, it's change. The entire electoral system is predicated on if you want to change something, you have to kind of pass a higher threshold than persisting with that as well. That's, yeah. And that, and that, that's true. That's, and that's because of, of, and, Ugh, I hate saying this. All corporate training that you get on change management ugh, actually says this, that there's a bias to not change. And it's up to the person that's trying to induce the change to get the buy-in from the people. And in order to do that, you have to start um, by proving that you are you are the change that you say you are, that you give the incentive for change, right? You give time for the change and that you lead the by example that you are the change. And so all four of those things are super important. So if you're the change candidate and you don't give anybody to the time to get to know you, you don't give them the incentive for you to vote for you, and you don't have, you know, you can't prove that you are the change and you can't actually lead the way, no one's going to vote for you. And this is the problem we have with Biden because we know what we have in Trump, right? You know what you have. So if you don't like what he is, you have the next best thing, which is a person that's been accused of pretty much the exact same crimes as Trump. His son, Biden's son, was on a board of an energy company in the Ukraine in which he has no experience in any energy funding in his entire lifetime. Nepotism. Right? You have a nepotism, right? You have an individual who's been accused of rape, which has great evidence, but was swept under the rug, whose campaign manager helped run the organization that person turned out to. Or I guess someone from the campaign, she's a campaign manager. Right? We, we have the idea that he's a racist on video calling things that we wouldn't even talk about fighting um all types of like minority incentives i mean it's crazy right so so it's like i don't know how Biden is a change if his entire life he's been trump i don't know i guess i'm going off tangent now let's go back yeah, to i mean <laughs> it's a totally fair point where in order to <laughs> convince the electorate to actually change something you have to convince them that they're they're kind of changing something so from Trump's perspective, he wants to paint the picture that 
Biden, Biden both is kind of simultaneously representing this big, scary change. Uh, but then at the same time, he doesn't represent any change. So you might as well just stick with me. I mean, there's one part where, where Trump says you had 30 years to change the law and you never did. And that's absolutely true. And that's largely true of any existing politician today where they don't. I mean, nobody, nobody uses their power to actually do anything anymore. And Trump arguably hasn't yeah. either because he, does, he doesn't actually have power either. He, he literally just has immunity from civil and criminal prosecution at this point, And that's his main motivation. Is, and he also has the ability to of the executive branch on, on how he executes the laws, which is why he can do his presidential executive orders, which basically erases all of the, the basically Obama, which is one of the most failed presidencies of our of our presidents. I mean, he had a sixty vote. I mean, he had the Senate. He had the Senate and the House. Filibuster proof. Senate and the House. Filibuster proof, and he got nothing done. Healthcare is basically non-existent anymore. It substantially does have, not exist. He, he could have done whatever he wanted. He could have nationalized all pharmaceutical companies. He, I mean, he could have put it, bankers in jail. He could have prosecuted jail, everybody. Bush for war crimes. But yes, everything. Instead, he relied on executive orders that were turned over immediately. Immediately. As soon as the next president comes in. Yep. Immediately. And Trump... All, all you do is just... Trump isn't issuing like coherent executive orders. Like he did an executive order that say we're going to prosecute, you know, at the federal level for removing statues or something. And it's like, well, you the the, the federal government doesn't have autonomy to enforce like, the destruction of a state statue. Like there, no. So no it's a dog whistle executive order. But at the same time, his you know campaign staff is competent enough to just say, oh yeah, and these other executive orders, yeah, they don't, they don't. They don't do anything anymore. Okay. I mean, quite honestly, this is, this is, and we'll wrap this episode up soon. This is primarily why Trump isn't as scary as you think he is. Now, is he surrounded by fascists? He is. Is he surrounded by incompetence? He is. And what actually saves us, the American people, is that he is an incompetent buffoon who's unable to actually process what his powers really are. And most of the people around him are incompetent too. Are incompetent. He's so if he would have had a competent group around him, it would have been a lot scarier than what you see now. He would have forced through that you know the dumbass wall. They would have imprisoned all the immigrants. He would have been in wars already. China wouldn't have existed with trade. We would have crushed them quickly by just manipulating currency. I mean, people that really understood modern monetary policy would have been able to corrupt any type of trade we wanted to. I mean, we're, I mean, we're printing money right now. We could have printed money and fucked with China. We could have. We could let them tie their yen to us and just, and just printed money and bond at the bond at the bond. In fact, we could have just discredited the bonds. We could have said no foreign government is allowed to hold off foreign bonds and just kill all the debt. And then Japan would have been screwed. I mean, literally overnight, we, would have, we could have just not paid our debts to other countries. And what are you going to do? Right? Nothing. 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 Because we just pull out. It doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, if you want to go down that road, like <clears throat> that, that would have been what you do. And, but he right. was, his team's too incompetent. Same with oil prices in Saudi Arabia. We, we literally could have just said this is going to be the price. I mean, I don't believe we should have intervened in Venezuela. In fact, I think it's war crimes what they've done there. 
But the fact that they couldn't do a regime change using the same exact recipe they did in the 80s is bonkers. Yeah, they went to the the same person. The coup playbook and had all the old characters back from the 1980s and they fucked it up. They fucked it all up. And I don't even know how you fucked this up. (laughs) I mean, they literally have US, U.S. people, like citizens, who are actually arrested by Venezuela. And the president has the authority that was given to him under, I think, Obama, or was it Bush? I forgot which law it was. The president of the to, to basically use all force necessary to reclaim U.S. citizens. And and here we are with them not going to Venezuela like they said they're going to do. Now, I do not condone this. I'm just saying it could be a lot worse <laughs> of a presidency if people who knew what the fuck they were doing. So now I'll go back to electoralism. How do you convince people that Biden is a change and that you should change for what it is? Beyond the fact that he's a fascist, beyond the fact that he's racist, right? Those are things that ideologically are going to drive people not to vote for him. But there are people that sit in the suburbs who have never felt any pain because Trump gave them a tax break. You got a tax right? break. Trump their life hasn't money. changed. They get to work from home during COVID. Um, their kids. And those are people that write policy. You know, I have to yeah. stay home and that's super inconvenient. So orange man bad. But yeah. you can blame that on your local government too. You blame it. You blame it on the, on the governor. And you've seen you've seen it happen in Democratic states. They demonize the governor, and in Republican states, they're opening too early, and everybody's getting sick. And why is that? It's all dog whistles. And it's a it's a it's a pitch for electoralism. Uh, you want to blame, you know, Michigan was blamed a lot early on uh, for you know opening too quickly, and that's where a lot of the protesting started. Blame it on the blame it on the governor. She did a terrible job. Um, I mean, that's a Trump strategy. And it worked. That open carry protests in Michigan, open carry protests around the country. Right before, right before the Black Lives Matter, right before the murder of George Floyd. Let's just get that out of the way. Execution by a state official. And the, and the protesting in the streets happened. They had those open carries where nothing happened to them. Yep. To show you just the difference in them. Right? So again, electoralism is a pretty crazy subject. Uh, we could talk about it all day long but the important pivot back to this is that as you go into 2020 and as we go into the fact that trump is going to potentially lose i i mean he could turn around in august if we have a good august if we have a good q3 happening in the end of september i mean he's he might pull this off again because Biden is nowhere his leadership is not showing how do you trust somebody who's not leading right so so again Electoralism brings back people are going to be fighting hard at a local level. And the important part here as a worker and pivot back to the, what this podcast is about is about you, about us, is that we need to figure out, you need to figure out how your districts are drawn at the state level. It's really, really important that you have a fair and, and I hate to say the word balanced because that's a Fox News thing, but a very fair drawing of electoral maps. Because what you're going or, to find is Or that a not it, fair, but in your favor. In your favor. And the question is, what's in your favor? Now, for us, we're going to say the devil is with, you know, the details and we're always going to pick potentially the Democrat, which is still nasty in our mouth because they're just corporatists. But they represent the worker a little bit more, just a tiny bit more than the Republican Party. It's, it's hard to say, really, at this point in time. Um, but in general, the Democrats tend to be a little bit more worker friendly, mostly lip service, but they're at least more friendly. So it's really important that we go out and, and find out how to draw the maps and find out if your if your district you live in actually makes any sense. You should look at look at um, is it Georgia's map that has like the I ninety five corridors. I think one of the, I'm thinking of 
Who's at 95? Uh, Texas is, is terrible. Texas. Maryland has some really interesting ones. Yeah, so, you know, take a look at your electoral maps and see if it makes sense. Um, a couple of states, I don't know which ones. California has some better ones because they're drawn by a committee. You know, it's really the states that have the committees that have really good public engagement. Like an independent redistricting commission yeah. where there's either some algorithm that draws it or uh, it, it's done by some, you know, bipartisan group of non-elected officials, maybe academics. Uh, but you, at, at some level, you don't want the legislature that is completely one party dominant drawing maps because they will I shouldn't say will, they should skew in their party's favor. They should fuck the other party hard. And that is from pure game theory. If you get one party drawing, being able to draw the map, they should absolutely fuck the other party. They should disappear districts. They should make it so they can never win. They should overwhelm districts. And that that's the reason why you see gerrymandering. Do we agree with gerrymandering? We don't. But we're saying from game theory itself, you should see districts that are 80-20 so that that 80% has no they, – they're only going to ever vote one seat, Republican or Democrat. You should see a bunch of, like, 55-45s, right? Yep, whatever the threshold is of, for a safe district. For a safe district. So then you can whoever the hell you want. Right? AOC who lives in a safe district. She's never going to lose. I said it right now. She, she will never lose her seat unless she resigns. Whatever date this is that gets kicked out, you'll see it. She will win – Every single time she's a state district, right? And you see all the leaders that are coming up, and I don't think she's a leader, but you see a lot of the leadership that you'll see, like Mitch McConnell and all those, and even the House. Eric Cantor was in the state district to get Tea Party. Anyways, you see a ton of leadership move up because they're in state districts. So they can they can take the stances that are maybe good or bad. Maybe they can eat shit or not eat shit, but they're safe. But that's a whole other episode that we'll get into on electoralism and, and sort of how we do that. But again, the, the whole idea of the working movement is to make sure that you're taken care of. Make sure we protect the workers. So please go out there and find out how maps are drawn and find out if you can participate. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.